This fall, we have been studying miracles, and particularly miracles in the book of Mark. And uh, we started out this series talking about how many of us in the modern world have a certain sort of skepticism about miracles. We see these things that Jesus does, these miraculous things in the Bible, and we sort of wonder, did that really happen? Could it still happen today? You know, how, why, how does that work? And, you know, we immediately become doctors and scientists and, like, talk about, well, this, well, this couldn't happen this way. And all these things can come to our minds. And over the series, we have tried to ask the question, what would it look like to expect God to be active and working in our world? Instead of thinking that when people get sick or when something goes bad or when we have money trouble or whatever... That, you know, it's just going to be the way it is and we've got to take care of ourselves. What would it look like to live expectant that God will be active in the world that we live in? And we've gone lots of different places. We've looked at diseases and demon possession and multiplying food and walking on the water and all these things that Jesus does uh, in the Gospels. And through that all, we've tried to ask that question of what it would look like for God to be active. And my guess is that some of us have responded in a lot of different ways. My guess is that some of you have leaned into this and actually seen God more active in your world than you realized. Hopefully for some of us, it has opened our eyes to all the ways that God is active in the, the places that we live, in our work, in our school, and all those kinds of things, in our families. For some of us, uh, maybe we've always been aware of God's work and we've always had a awareness of God's activity. And so this has just been a good reminder, but it really hasn't changed much for us. But I'm guessing there's another category for some of us that are still kind of wondering, why am I not seeing this? There are probably some of us that have tried to be more open to God's work in the world and we're waiting for it and we're waiting for it and it just doesn't seem like the world's any more miraculous than it was three months ago. It makes me think of kids planting a seed. Sometimes the kids uh, do this project at school where they you know, put a bean in a plastic bag with a little bit of dirt and water, right? And they let it sprout to teach kids about how plants work. And the kids always on the first day take it and they just look at it. And they're like, when's it going to grow? When's it going to grow? When's it? And we're like, it's not going to happen. You can't, you're not going to see it. You're going to go to bed and then one day you'll come back and it's grown a little bit. And you go, oh, cool, it worked. It's not going to happen like a time lapse in front of your face. And some of us are that way when we look for God's work in our lives. We're like, all right, God, when are you going to fix this thing? When are you going to fix this thing? When are you going to fix this thing? And it just doesn't happen as fast as we want. And we feel kind of confused about what that means and what that looks like. We're going to wrap this series today, and I want to kind of address that feeling of when's it going to happen, what's going to happen. And I'm going to do it by talking about a weird little story in Mark 8. Um, this story is important uh, in part because Mark is the only one that gives it to us. Uh, we've had a couple of these, if you'll remember, and this is because Mark will share stories that Matthew and Luke and John probably looked at and said, Oh, that's a weird story. Why would you tell that story? But Mark, Mark likes the weird stories. And so he gives us this one that really is a little confusing and a little funky, but I think is helpful as we look and wait for God to work in our world. Uh, start in Mark 8, verse 22. They, meaning Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida, 
And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Uh, this is a weird miracle for so many reasons. First of all, let's get out of the way. Spit, ew. Okay, right? Gross. Why does Jesus have to spit on the guy's eyes? It's disgusting. Uh, that's also weird because there's an instrumentality to this miracle that is not typical. Usually Jesus just speaks or prays and immediately someone is healed. This is one of the weird ones where he has to apply spit to his eyes and they have to come outside of the town. There's a couple other of these. One where Jesus makes mud and puts them on someone's eyes. One where there's a man who he sends to a pool. He says, when you wash in that pool, you'll be healed. These kind of bug us because this feels a little bit more like magic than miracles, right? Like there's a special formula and somehow Jesus spit is like, you know, magic spit or something. And that's unusual. I don't have any other greater point about that. But yes, it's weird. If you notice that it's weird, that's because it's weird. And so Jesus takes this man and he spits on him. But the really difficult and hard part for us is the fact that the healing doesn't work all the way. He goes to heal this man, and the man's blind, and the man starts to see, but he doesn't see real clearly. Uh, Maybe you've had this experience if you take your car to a mechanic, and you said, I've got two problems. When I go beyond 70 miles an hour, my car starts to rumble a little bit, and it doesn't steer as well. The mechanic goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. Well, I'll do it. $3,000, I'll fix it, right? Because they just throw random money amounts at you, and then suddenly your car's fixed. So you get the car back, you're like, okay, it's fixed. You get on the freeway, you jump up to 70 miles an hour, it's not rumbling anymore. You're like, yes. Then you go to switch lanes, and it's really hard to steer. And you go, well, he only half fixed it. He took care of one problem, he didn't take care of the other problem. And then you got to go back, and then there's the haggling about, is this a second repair that requires a second payment, or should this have been part of the first repair that was covered under the first payment? Right? It's really frustrating when we have something that's broke and we take it to get fixed and we're told, okay, I'll handle it, and then it doesn't get fixed the way it's supposed to. I can only imagine what this man is feeling. He has heard about the miraculous powers of Jesus. The people are saying that this is the Son of God, that this is the Messiah who's came to save the world. And he comes and he goes, can you please heal me? And Jesus goes, yeah, well, let's take a walk first. And it's like, okay, Jesus, I'll walk. I'm blind, but sure, we'll go to the outside of the town. So they walk out there, and Jesus goes, all right, just a second. And it's like, okay, this is kind of gross. What are we doing? And then Jesus goes, there you go, you're healed. And he opens up, and he's like, well, I kind of see something. I love that he says it looks like trees. How does he know what trees look like? Like, was he someone who had seen and then became blind? Anyways, it's just a question of mine in the narrative. But he goes, yeah, it just looks like trees walking around. He's looking for 2020, and everybody looks like Groot, right? If you don't know who Groot is, Groot is a superhero. Groot is a walking, talking tree. This will be very important for a line later on in the sermon. So if you need to be introduced to Groot, this is Groot. And he's just looking around. Instead of seeing human beings, he's seeing these walking trees, these blobs. It's uh, It's not what he had hoped for. It is not fully fixed the way he thought it would be. And you wonder, he's starting to say, you know, maybe this Jesus just isn't all, isn't all he was cracked up to be. People told me he could heal me, and I guess he kind of healed me. 
But now I get to live around with, you know, groups in my vision all day long. Like there's no other, this is not what I was desiring. This is not what I've been promised. This is not what the preacher told me on Sunday morning was going to happen. This is something a little bit less than what was promised. Story goes on. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. I think of uh, going to the optometrist, right? And if you've ever done this, they're checking your vision. And they have all these different lenses. I love this machine. There's something about my personality that the way that it has all the little flippy things and like everything can be just micro adjusted. I want to learn how to use an optometrist like vision thing just because I want to know how it works. But you maybe had that experience where it comes up to your eyes and they go, is this clearer or is this clearer? And you're like, oh, the second one. And then this one or this one? I've got, my eyes are getting just bad enough now that he goes, A or B? And I go, they're both garbage. I don't know. I mean, it's not helping, you know, like neither of these looks good. But it's cool because if you've had that experience, you've maybe seen where the letters are really blurry and then he flips the, the lens and all of a sudden it goes, oh, wow, that looks better. I can read that now. And this is what the second touch does. The second touch, he goes from, you know, tree people to seeing clearly. He goes to 2020, gets his Lasix finished, you know, however you want to think about this. And suddenly everything is better. And the question for us is always, why does it take Jesus two times? Right? Like there's a lot of things I do in life where the first one's not great, but the second one's better. Like making pancakes or shoot, hitting a golf ball, right? Like there's things that we do that we're, we err at in the first place. But why does Jesus have to do it twice? And here's what I can tell you. I have no good theological reason why it took Jesus two turns. But sometimes when you're reading the Bible and you can't figure out a good theological answer, it helps to get a good literary answer. All right. And some of you, if you hated English class, are not going to enjoy what's about to come. But sometimes when you look at the way the letter is put together, uh, a book is put together, it helps. So we're going to talk for a minute about the structure of the book of Mark. Uh, the book of Mark is 16 chapters long. This story is smack dab in the middle of chapter 8. It is in the middle of the book. And if you pull Mark apart, you can see that there are two distinct sections to the book. Part 1 is... Um, I put those separately? Yeah, okay. I'll do that in a minute. So the middle point of the book, almost exactly middle point, is Peter confessing that he believes Jesus is the Messiah. All right, that story is literally the next story from the one that we read this morning, where Jesus says, who do people say I am? And his disciple, his friend Peter says, I think you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes, aha, you figured it out. And that's important uh, either side of that story, right before it is this double healing story, the one that we just read. And on the other side, Jesus is going to begin to preach about crucifixion. He's going to say that I am going to go and die in Jerusalem. And basically, the argument on a literary perspective, when you look at this book like a piece of literature, is that uh, there are two main points that this book is making. The first half of the book, that blue half, Chapters 1 through 8 are teaching you that Jesus is the Messiah. And that section is, of course, punctuated by Peter saying, you're the Messiah. Ding, ding, ding. We have successfully gotten to our goal, right? So the first half of the book is that Jesus is the Messiah. The second half of the book is teaching them that the Messiah has to die. 
Uh, this is hard for us as Christians because we go, oh, the Messiah. Well, the Messiah died on the cross for our sins. Like, we know that. We've been taught that 8,000 times in church. But Jewish people of the day didn't, didn't get that. Messiah is a term that is royal. It refers back to David. It was a term for a king and a warrior. And so the idea that this warrior king would have to die to save people instead of grab a sword and fight to save people was bizarre to them. And so Jesus has two educational perspectives. Number one, I've got to convince you I'm the Messiah. Now, once you are convinced I'm the Messiah, then I have to redefine what you think Messiah means. Because the way I'm going to do it is going to be really different. And so that second half begins with Jesus saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And it ends with Jesus going to Jerusalem and dying. The reason this is really important is because it makes that miracle make a lot more sense. It is as if Mark thinks that his readers are totally blind to who Jesus is. And that he must first teach them the hazy truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he must teach them the clear truth that he is the Messiah who will die on a cross. Their blindness has a two-step process. They've got to get point one, and then they can get point two. And so this miracle, from a literary perspective, functions to tell them, hey guys, you think you're done. You think that you, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. You think that's the end of the book? Nope, we got a second half. And just like this man that had one healing and saw hazy, and then a second healing and saw clearly, you right now see hazy. And we're going to have to clarify over the next eight chapters. Here's what's really beautiful about that to me and helpful for us. It tells us that there's a lot of things in our personal lives and spiritual lives that are a process. That just take time. Why did it take Jesus two, two goes to heal this guy? I don't know, but it's a great metaphor for the way spirituality often works. Um, some of us are process people and some of us are product people, Right? Uh, if you want to know the difference, process is the work it takes to get somewhere, and the product is where you get at the end. Um, this is the reason why I don't really like Legos. I get everyone else is in love with Legos, and you know they pay a bajillion dollars for them. I kind of don't like them because I'm not a process guy. I like to play with the finished toy. And Legos are terrible toys because they're always falling apart if you try to do anything with them. The product I find to be relatively lame, unless we're like gluing them together. But what a lot of people love is the process. They love all the steps and clicking all the things together, right? Yeah, well, as a dad, it's like, oh good, here's four hours of my Christmas day that's going to be spent trying to figure out if this little gray one is the right one or this little gray one. And then I'm clicking them together, and then if you have to pull them apart and the tips of your fingers start to hurt, I don't like the process of the Lego. And the product isn't that great when you get it. And so I just don't enjoy them because I'm not a process person. This is why I don't make a great artist. I remember Preston making a painting for us that took years because every time he would play with it, he would see something different. He would rework with it. And I think as an artist, you have to kind of enjoy that process, that exploration. I just want a painting, okay? I don't want to go through all that stuff. I just want the product. But faith is very often a process. You don't get there all at once. The reality that we have to come to accept is that marriages that are struggling don't usually get fixed in a single counseling session. Addictions don't end in one moment. We don't become wise by reading one book 
We don't um, grow that way as human beings. Usually it takes a couple times. And so I find the application, particularly to the topic of miracles, interesting. If one of Jesus' miracles took a couple of steps to work, I think our appreciation of miracles might take a couple of steps. Maybe in the last few months you've gone from being super skeptical to, I don't know, maybe miracles would happen. That's growth. That's process. That's good. We talk about this in uh, evangelism or sharing your faith. If you have a friend that thinks Christians are terrible idiots, and then he comes to go, oh, Christians are fine, but I'm not interested. You have successfully brought someone towards the Lord, right? We always like, get real excited if somebody becomes a Christian. If they go from like antagonistic to less antagonistic, that's success, okay? And it's the same way with miracles. If you're a little more open to God's work in the world than you were before, that is good. And maybe someday you'll cross to the point where all of a sudden something amazing will happen. You'll be totally on board. That's great. But it's just the way this thing works. And it's this odd, complicated interaction between our faith and God's work. Um, I was talking to somebody in our church that really believes that there was a point in their life where they had a medical thing that was prayed over and then it got healed. And she said, I prayed for it hundreds of times. I had dozens or hundreds of people who prayed for it. And then one day it was one random guy that just saw me and he could tell I was hurting and he prayed and all of a sudden I was good. Why does it work that way? Why does God make somebody go through all of that effort? Why does God make somebody go through all those failed attempts before he heals? I don't know. I can't explain it anymore. I explain spit and double healings, right? But sometimes it's just the way it goes. And there may be something that you are praying for and you hear these miracle stories and you go, you know, that's nice for them. It's nice that that woman touched his his garment and was healed. It was nice that that man took out his withered hand and it got fixed. It was nice that that person with leprosy suddenly didn't have leprosy. But I've got this and I've been praying a long time and it's not fixed yet. And for us, this story is helpful to say, sometimes it's just a process. And sometimes, for whatever reason, God makes you wait a little while before that process is over. It's important for us to just uh, accept that there will be those steps. And my suspicion is that these are not because of God's capability. I don't think Jesus went to heal this guy's eyes and went, oh, geez, I wonder why that didn't work. Like, I think he kind of purposefully half healed him and then fully healed him. Maybe it was something that guy needed to hear. Maybe he was thinking about obstinate people in 2019 living in Providence, Rhode Island. He's like, those bozos need to hear this. Whatever it was, I think that it's not really God. I mean, this is just my guess. It's us. That sometimes the process miracles, the ones that happen a step at a time, the ones that start with group and then go to people, that happens when we need it, when we aren't ready for it. I just think of, it's silly, but you you hear about these people whose lives are ruined by winning the lottery. I'm sure you saw those stories where someone was poor, they won the lottery, they became a millionaire, and then they were in jail two years later because they didn't know how to handle the money. Because solving all of their financial problems in one big swoop was really bad for their character development. And sometimes that's the way it is when we pray for things. It's got to take a step at a time. We need to go from one step to the next. And in light of that, I want to end out our series on miracles, encouraging you to do two things 
as you look for God to be active in your life. The first is show gratitude. Be thankful. Yeah, your life may not be fixed in all the ways you want it to be fixed, but I am sure that God has done some things for you that have made things a lot better than they used to be. Right? We are the kind of people that complain about Groot's Oh, why is my vision clearer? Why isn't it better? Okay, you didn't see anything five minutes ago. Would you like to rewind? I could just see Jesus be like, would you like us to time travel back 30 seconds ago when you saw nothing? Or would you like to see tree people? That would be my response. And so gratitude is important. That God is working and that we got to let him do it in his time frame. And it is not going to encourage him to bless us more if we spit in the eye of what he is doing. Even if what he's doing is spitting a lot, right? You know, like, there's just this value of being thankful for what you have. And then patience. It may be that God is ready to do an awesome, incredible, miraculous change in your life, and he is patiently waiting for you to be ready for it. And yet here you are, impatiently acting like he's holding things up. And there's this value in just waiting on the Lord. Waiting for God to do things in your life. Often the things that we want fixed don't happen immediately. And it's not, sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's what we need. Sometimes it's just a lot of complex factors. But in the end, I believe from these stories that he is good and he is powerful and he is loving. And it's my hope that you experience that love and that power in your life. Uh, We're going to do a song here just for some time of reflection, and then we'll do our Q&A. So you can work on those question cards if you have them. Go ahead and come on up, Ray. I just want to end out this sermon series with one scripture, because it talks about the power of God. We talk about God's power in our lives. This is just a blessing I want to leave you with. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. So we only have one question, and I love this. It was, why did Jesus spit? Why didn't he just heal him with his touch? Was he hoping the blind man would see his his faith? And then right into that, oh, you answered my question in the sermon. Thanks. So that's great. I love it when we can anticipate the questions. Um, that, That instrumentality thing is really, it's really interesting. Um... The New Testament, we'll just give you a little more on this topic. The New Testament's weird in that every once in a while this happens. The other really weird one is there's one little passage in the book of Acts that suggests that like Peter and Paul's clothes, I think it was Peter's, but Peter's clothes were kind of being passed around like, um, uh, like a relic, right? Like most of us in Protestant churches don't tend to do relics, but it's a thing that's within Catholicism. And so they would... Passed around Peter's cloak and people would touch his clothes and would get healed. Uh, it's kind of like a couple weeks ago when the woman touches Jesus' garment and she's healed. And it's weird because typically in Judeo-Christian theology, the, the miracle is done by the volition of an individual, by a prayer, by the movement of God. It doesn't happen because magic stuff gets held and gets used in magic ways. Um, I think the way I would process that is that it's just a special experience of grace. That God is so excited to be graceful to people that he goes, you know what? Every once in a while, I'm going to not even require a request. I'm not even going to require action. I'm just going to pour my grace out so deeply that it's in the clothes of the people who are doing my work. 
Um, and obviously, this also brings up the esteem in the community. There's a strategic idea here. If Peter's clothes are healing people, then people are going to listen to what Peter has to say to preach. And if Jesus is seen as kind of this very capable healer, it's going to help people listen to him more. So I think there's some of that. Why does God do it one way one time, part of the time and one way the other part of the time? I don't know, just to mess with us maybe. Sometimes I wonder if that's just the answer. You know, like... I'm going to get to heaven and we're like, gee, why did you do that? And she's going, because I'm going to drive you crazy. You know, like, I, I, would, I would do that to someone. I don't know if that would be Jesus or not, but um, I wouldn't put it past him. I'm sure God has a great sense of humor, so...